Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. What's the biggest problem getting in the way of prayer for you? I would love to hear your challenges. We'll dive into real solutions. The biggest things seem to be too tired, lack of time, distraction, social media, and laziness. So we'll give solutions to each and every one of those because you can do it. You can make it happen. The devil's in details a lot of the time when it comes to prayer because he doesn't want you to pray. Let's keep you separated from God. So please stay with me. And if you can't, catch the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or on our Relevant Radio app and wherever you might listen to podcasts. We are there trending with Tim Ray. Be sure to subscribe and download the Relevant Radio app. Joining me in just a moment is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. And we will dive into how to overcome OCD and It's your time. Ask a therapist. If you have a question for him, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Again, that number is 888-914-9149. Michael Gasparro is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Michael, it's great to have you back on today. Hello. Yeah, great to be here. Let's talk about OCD. I know OCD is a topic that you often work with with patients. I know part of your crossover uh, ties into some of the gender therapy and people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and how their underlying uh, t- things that can impact sexual proclivity. And when you heal one thing, such as OCD, it impacts other areas. That's how I came kind of into contact with your work on OCD. I know it's the main area that you focus in on as well. Uh, For those who maybe wonder, I've always wondered if I've had OCD and wondering if it could be impacting other behaviors. Could you start with like a definition of OCD and kind of some key areas for starting to know if maybe this is something you struggle with? Well, what's very interesting about OCD is that the Catholic Church is actually written a lot about what we call historically scrupulosity, which now is often considered a religious-focused form of obsessive-compulsive disorder. And so the Catholic literature, especially through the writings of some of the saints who struggled with scrupulosity, even informed modern-day clinical therapists in their thinking about the mental health issue we call obsessive-compulsive disorder. So one thing to keep in mind is that while the topic you're fixated on may be religion, it's not necessarily a religious problem if you have obsessive compulsive fear around religious issues. Like I said, that could be called scrupulosity, but it can also be diagnosed by a therapist as a clinical form of an obsessive compulsive disorder. 
So let's tie into the face side of it because I do think this is really interesting when you discuss scrupulosity and OCD together when it comes to faith. We'll be discussing prayer later on here on the show. And I think it's relevant because I know some people who struggle, they're trying to implement a prayer routine or maybe they have one. And and yet with scrupulosity or OCD, whichever maybe you can clarify it, it is, someone will say, okay, I try to pray my rosary, but I start it, I make it halfway through, I get distracted, so I restart. And I restart and I restart. And maybe that's how you pray because you get distracted. You think you have to restart and then you never actually complete your prayer. Is that part of scrupulosity and or OCD? It can be for some people. I think what's important to consider is what is the core, the the actual cause of what's happening when somebody has OCD or scrupulosity versus what are the effects of it. So one conceptualization, Timory, and by the way, this conversation is nuanced because people over the centuries have tried to define this and have people of goodwill often have slightly different definitions and try to understand and conceptualize it from different perspectives. But one common perspective right now is that obsessive compulsive disorder is an excessive fear problem. And that for some people, due to a combination that is complex between their biological predispositions, as well as their environment, and perhaps even their own temperament, are prone through maybe an excessively tender conscience to have obsessive fear about things which shouldn't be scary. So things that should be scary. I'm running from a bear to save my life. Things that should not be scary, praying the rosary. But when somebody has OCD or religious-focused OCD, which we often now call scrupulosity, praying becomes a target or a source of fear itself. So while there are different pathways to healing, Timory, one good thing to keep in mind that even many of the saints have written about is love of God drives out all servile fear and leads and matures the human heart towards what is called filial fear which is a tenderness between a father and their lo- and their beloved children. And so people with OCD sometimes perceive themselves to have a scrupulous, or excuse me, a religious problem, but really they have a fear problem. And it's not a moral or character flaw. And so in therapy or in spiritual direction, their spiritual director or therapist can help guide them to help sort out what about this experience of prayer is based in an obsessive fear which is actually not helpful or spiritually grounded in in, in the Holy Spirit. And what about this is an actual need for additional discipline or spiritual guidance and correction? So what recommendations do you have? If you were talking to someone who's struggling with scrupulosity in prayer, what would you recommend they work on? Well, the first thing I would do is recommend, and this might sound a bit overly generic, but is to talk to a priest about it first. Because a priest, especially a confessor, can really help you discern if you need additional psychological interventions in addition to spiritual guidance. And there are great resources, scrupulosity resources online. There are YouTube channels and websites. But even local priests, especially in confession or in just a meeting with a priest one-on-one, can kind of help you tease out a little bit, hey, is this a normal level of you know concern I have over spiritual discipline, or is this excessive to the point where it's causing me psychological harm? And that oftentimes can be a way that priests can then refer you out to a lay person like myself, who's a therapist, who's good at helping you decide and diagnose if it is an actual clinical condition. Now, in terms of self-help, Timory, 
I think one really good thing is just to reflect, especially if you're somebody who has a tender conscience and tends to obsess over things like restarting the rosary or going over and over again in your sins in your mind and you're not sure if you're in mortal sin or not, so you're obsessing about it throughout the entirety of Mass. These types of things are evidence that maybe you're seeking a level of certainty that's not as deeply trusting God's love and mercy as could be helpful. So often the most basic, simple verses in the Bible that speak of God's tender love and mercy can be a great starting point for reflection. A great example is Psalm 23. Just sitting in Lexio Divina, reading and meditating on the psalm itself, can cultivate trust in God's love and mercy, as opposed to grasping at certainty around one particular fear-based obsession. Something that you said kind of struck a point in that it sounds like OCD and scrupulosity, because they're rooted in fear, means that there needs to be some healing done when it comes to the problem of fear itself. Is that correct? Right. And some people from the clinical side, Timory, meaning, let's say, the less spiritual focus side, more the biological side, would argue that people who have OCD tend to have a perception of the world that is excessively fearful. There's a few different reasons we think this may be the case, but whatever the cause, that tends to be the, we'll say, lens with which they look at the world. Too many things are scary, and they're too scary. Mm. So working on healing is important. If you're not able to get past some of those fears on your own, it sounds like, as you're saying, working with a therapist is important. How does OCD and the bigger picture, not just on the faith side as it's referred to as scrupulosity, how does OCD impact day-to-day activity for, for someone and what skills are needed to be developed to overcome OCD during your day? One of the things that's not talked about as much in the this conversation with OCD that I think is really helpful is not just trying to get rid of fear, but cultivating the emotions so that there's a balanced and harmonious emotional life in total for a person. So we have a history in the tradition of the church called, uh, is a theology of mortification, where you have to mortify your passions, right, Timory? And That means to put to death things that are excessive so that they can all be brought under the guidance of right reason so that we can strengthen our will towards living virtuously. Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. And one of the things that people forget is that fear is actually one of the passions. So if somebody is excessively fearful, that excessive fear should be mortified or brought under the guidance of right reason so as to not inhibit the person living virtuously. Mm -hmm. And while that process is about directly addressing the fear, many times concurrently, what gets lost in I think a lot of secular models for OCD that I've seen is the importance of exposing ourselves to the true, the good, and the beautiful. Because exposing ourselves to these transcendentals, the true, the good, and the beautiful, actually arouses within us as individuals the emotions of the pleasure appetite, which Thomas Aquinas defines as the arc of enjoyment or love, the emotion of love, enjoyment followed by desire, and then joy at attaining the good that I seek. So when I go to an art museum and I just expose myself to the beautiful art, or if I eat a meal and savor the delicious food, or if I listen to music and just open my heart and mind to the beautiful sounds, I'm going to feel a response internally and cultivate joy in my life through beauty and through moral truths. And this cultivation is really important in conjunction with any efforts you make 
to reduce fear. Because the actual cultivation of the, the emotions of the pleasure appetite help us to choose the good and avoid evil as well. So what's interesting about this is that you mentioned the importance of being able to balance your emotions. You mentioned the theology mortification, putting to death those things, as you say, that are excessive so that everything can be brought into balance when it comes to our passions. Fear, as you mentioned, it's a good thing, but it needs to be rightly ordered in the right context. Um, anger can be a good thing, again, but it needs to be tempered and in the right context. A joy, giddiness, we could go through all these emotions, but it seems as if we live in a culture today where we, one, don't know what each emotion is, and two, we don't know how to ride the wave of that emotion in the right way. We're so unaware of what we're experiencing. And so I know one of the best areas is to start to be aware of what those emotions are and name them. Could you maybe walk us through an example of starting to, on your own, be able to name what the emotion is that you experience and how to work through that so that you can move past it in a healthy way? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And one of the things that came to my mind, Timmy, is an example from my personal life. So when I was driving with my parents a couple of years ago in Chicago, I will tell you, Timmering, there are very few people that I will lose my patience with faster than my parents, which is funny because they do more for me than any human being on this planet. So the people I should be the most patient with, I'm the least patient, patient with, um, which I think is a true thing for a lot of us, which is why holiness often starts in the small little ways we just first start to reflect on how we treat the people around us. But when I was driving with my family, as many people have done before, I'm in the front seat trying to follow a, a GPS system, and my mother was giving me extra, what we call backseat driver information. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Where somebody yep. launches in from the backseat about things that you don't want to hear. Yep. So I noticed I was feeling really angry. And what was so interesting, Timber, is in that moment, for the first time in a long time, instead of just talking rudely back to my mother because I was frustrated, I slowed down enough in my thought process to acknowledge internally what I was feeling. And I noticed I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. With what? Why am I frustrated? We get angry or frustrated when we perceive there to be some kind of injustice. That's God's little gift to us to help us identify unfairness or injustice. The problem is it's our, our, our gauge is not always right. So the first step for me in that moment, Timmy, was just to acknowledge, okay, I'm feeling frustrated. And in that brief little moment where I acknowledged that, I realized I was frustrated because I didn't think it was helpful or fair that my mother was giving me driving instructions when she wasn't the driver. <clears throat> and what in the past, before acknowledging that emotion and reflecting on it with my intellect, I would have expressed the emotion with rude dialogue, just been rude and impatient. But in that moment, because I reflect on it, I was able to name what was happening internally. I actually gently was able to say by God's grace, hey mom, I'm feeling a little frustrated because you're telling me what to do while you're in the back seat and it doesn't really help me while I'm driving and it's kind of distracting me. So could you maybe help uh, dad with something and then I can focus on driving. And I'm telling you, Timbery, that was one of the few times up to that point where I actually had the foresight to slow down enough not to just be a little brat to my mom. And I'm an adult man, but still, uh, this example internally, Timbery, just helped me a lot to show that if I can slow down just enough, just for a moment, to identify my emotion and guide it with a little bit of reflection by the power of the Holy Spirit and through God's grace, I have a better chance at expressing it in a way that's kind 
versus impatient. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that key? You, when you're actually aware of what you're experiencing, you can navigate through it in a reasonable way, and then you can actually communicate to those around you for what you need in that particular situation. I love this because I think it helps in navigating, not just if you have OCD or struggle with scrupulosity, but in general today, our culture, we struggle to know what our emotions are, what even emotion is and how to work through it, past it and let go of it once we've experienced it. You know, it could be if you name that story and situation again, and for someone that might be a cause of severe aggravation and resentment toward that person who was leading them to be angry rather you worked through it and so there was able there was able to be this arc where it was let let go of in the end as well and even if the resolution that came about in your circumstance didn't occur at least there was that confidence in being able to clearly communicate in a peaceful internal way what was going on so i love this conversation on ocd because i think a lot of people refer to themselves as ocd they don't actually have ocd but it drives i think forward this conversation of emotional integrity and emotional awareness and balance as you refer to and it's so relevant to our faith with that as you mentioned, theology of mortification, putting to death the disordered interactions we have emotionally to bring a greater sense of balance and accord and being in line with the life that God has created us for. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro here on Trending with Timory. Now is your hour for Ask a Therapist. Maybe your topic has to be do with OCD. Maybe it has to do with sexuality. He works a lot with people who are struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. The phone number is 888-914-9149. Again, it's 888 888- 914-9149. You can also ask now on social media. Just head over to follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I'll be right back. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now is your opportunity to ask a question from a licensed marriage and family therapist with a Catholic take, sound therapy. The number is 888-914-9149. So please, if you have a question, give us a call. Love to take it. My guest today is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. And by the way, the March for Life in Washington, D.C. is this Friday. And again, this year, Relevant Radio is inviting you to fast for life in solidarity with marchers. Take an active part in the march from your home or office by praying and fasting for the protection of the unborn. David from Buena Park, California is doing this. Number one, he's fasting from complaining. Two, he's going to be extra cheerful during the day and smile at everyone he meets. And three, he's going to pray a memoire every hour for an end to abortion. Tell us how you'll be participating on Friday at relevantradio.com slash fast. That's relevantradio.com slash fast. And be sure to share hashtag fast for life on social media. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. My guest today is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. If you have a question, want a Catholic take with sound therapy, it's free advice. So go ahead and call in 888-914-9149. So Michael, 
questions are pouring in and a lot of people, because we're going to be discussing prayer later on and we were mentioning OCD earlier, uh, have questions about prayer. So we'll take maybe a couple on that topic, but I did want to address this one that came in on Instagram. It's how to encourage a husband to be the leader in their marriage versus the We'll get him back here in just a moment and bounce the question his direction. But I want to come back to the topic of March for Life. We're coming up on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And as we mark this anniversary on the 22nd, we look back to a page in American history in 1973 when the Supreme Court made it so that abortion was accessible through all nine months of a woman's pregnancy. An astounding thing. And then two years ago, by the grace of God, we see this overturning of Roe versus Wade and this battle taking place from state to state over abortion. Some states being very pro-abortion, becoming even travel states, destinations for abortion, such as California, New York, and others, and other states like Texas and Florida, becoming the hub of strong pro-life laws. And yet behind the scenes, we have this culture that is so radically pro-abortion. We discussed this last week that literally we have physicians from overseas sending illegally chemical abortion all over the nation, making up nearly six out of 10 abortion procedures today, if not more than that, since we don't require the reporting on abortion. And some people might say, well, why do we have to go to a March for Life now? Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Because people still live in a culture where abortion is something that is seemingly okay to many or is a fail-safe in less than ideal situation. And so taking a stand for life, whether you're in a radically pro-life or radically pro-abortion state, is a good thing. Setting that example, being formed in the pro-life conversation, being around other people who are pro-life, building those relationships is fundamental. So I hope you'll still make the effort this year as we do still look at the anniversary of Roe versus Wade as a horror that marked this country and continues to. I pray that we continue to stand up, speak up, and be involved in pro-life work loudly and boldly but respectfully and tactfully. And one of those ways as as we look at this anniversary of Roe versus Wade. So if you have the opportunity to go to the march or participate in a local walk, I highly encourage you to do so. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist and Michael Gasparro back with us. Michael, we have tons of questions coming in. I want to come back to OCD in just a moment because I know there's some on that topic, but I have a question on Instagram. The question is how to encourage her husband to be the leader in their marriage versus the wife leading in most aspects okay can you say that one more time for me yes yes the question is how to encourage her husband to be the leader in their marriage versus her as the wife leading most aspects of the relationship well i think it's really important to reflect in this context that we are hearing from her about her perception of what's happening so it's really good for couples to talk through these things together with somebody because that way a third person outside of them can help them each try to see each other's perspective. <clears throat> but leadership often looks like service. And so when she says she is leading and rather her husband, I think it would be good first to s discuss, bring this to her husband first. 
what does it mean to be a leader and in what domain is she particularly focused on? Is it spiritual leadership? Is it emotional leadership? Is it financial leadership? So getting clear with her husband on what areas in particular she's hoping he can be more of a leader, and then perhaps having a discussion with him, potentially with a therapist or a, or a priest or a third-party president, as to help them look at one another's lives and say, what does the way I can lead as a servant to the other look like in this domain of my life? Mm. So starting to talk about the idea of what leadership is, both to them separately and together, and then to start to move in that direction once they kind of have an idea of what their expectations are. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And another thing that comes to mind too, Timory, is if you perceive somebody in a relationship to be failing in a particular area, it's good to start then to say, is there something I need to do first to better support them in this role that I, I hope they can live up to? Because sometimes when we start fixating on another person's situation or their lack of virtue in an area, it can sometimes become the point of unfair judgment. It can color the lens too strongly to perceive them in a way that's not fair to the situation or even not helping us solve it. So I'm not saying I'm, I don't know who this person is or what they're specifically talking about, but what we know is even if you can't change your husband's behavior, you can reflect on your role and how you support him as a leader. Um, and so that will be one place to start. Not to say your husband doesn't need to change or doesn't need to make some significant adjustments to how he behaves or leads, but we can't control other people's behavior. So the first step is often looking within ourselves. And that's what's amazing about human behavior. When we start to change, others change around us. And when it comes to relationship dynamics, again, without knowing all the nitty gritty details of this particular situation, as a culture, Michael, we struggle with a very pro-feminist mindset that is very anti-man and very anti-male leadership. And this has been really modeled in multiple generations now that this idea of the husband being the head of the home, the leader in the home, it's men haven't seen examples of this. They don't know how to do it. Uh, women haven't had examples of this. They don't know how to follow. And so it leads to this tension when, you know, a lot of people enter into Catholic marriages or into marriage in general, and they hope often for those stereotypical roles, or they don't realize how necessary those roles of a rightly ordered home are. And I find, especially in such a strong feminist culture, that as women, we are formed almost in a survival way, like survive at all costs, take care of yourself, be independent. And yet, Within the complementarity of marriage, there's this necessity, especially for women, to step back and give the husband the space to lead, the space to figure out how to lead, the encouragement, even as you're mentioning, to do so, and even to recognize that he's going to lead and do things in a way differently than probably how you would do things, but that we need to have respect and love for that. And isn't that what's at the core of sacred scripture, St. Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the true author, says for husbands to love their wives and for wives to respect their husbands. That's the dichotomy that is so difficult, is giving that space and respect for husbands to lead in the way they love their families. Yeah, and I think it's good. To, that's beautifully said. And I also would like to add, since we don't know this person's particular situation, as a generic kind of piece of feedback for your audience to consider, there is a difference between some levels of failings that are, are 
tolerable and some that are intolerable. And what I mean by intolerable is when something rises to the level of negligence of duty, for instance, like child abuse or negligence in terms of being able to support your family's most basic needs, that becomes a more practical issue that perhaps there needs to be more immediate intervention. But when it's a matter of the general progression and virtue as a couple, because there's disagreement or there's insufficient levels of happiness and the marital discord is high, that's slightly distinct from sort of these dereliction of duties of the basic premise of, of husband and wife roles. So we do also want to caution that if something is severe, that you seek outside counsel as soon as possible, whether that be from a trusted loved one or a priest or a therapist, so that you're not just hearing what we're saying and saying, well, I guess it's just there's nothing I can do about it until my husband changes his mind. Because in severe situations, outside support and help should be sought as soon as possible. And just a last thought on this topic, because I think it's a great question. How do you get your husband to lead when you desire that within the marriage? Pray for your spouse. Pray for your spouse and pray for the virtues that you yourself need to work on and pray for them. Because when we have a healthy relationships with God, when we have virtue and we're living in a state of grace and we're praying for our spouse, often that humility to step back and take ourselves out of the messiness that can be caused in a relationship uh, can start to occur. God's grace can abound in those dynamics. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's licensed marriage and family therapist and Michael Gasparo with free advice can ask on social media or give us a call. The number is 888-914-9149. We're discussing OCD earlier and a question came in. My contamination OCD is so severe. It's affecting relationships with family. I'm using a bleach on my face and hands causing bleeding. I can't cope anymore. Do you have any tips for helping to overcome this? Well, this is kind of an easy one. This whoever you are, you know, thank you for writing and, and sharing your story. If you're using bleach on your face and hands, that's a really great example for your listeners of the levels of severity that people can feel discomfort in terms of contamination, and then thus using unreasonable efforts to try to make themselves feel clean. And when it's something like that is happening and you're harming yourself by using chemicals on your skin that should not be used, that's a very clear starting point to say, I need professional help. And that can look like ca calling your local doctor. You can actually go to your general practitioner and they can assess you for obsessive compulsive disorder. And then if you have insurance, they can refer you to a therapist in your insurance network. And with OCD and contamination fears, there are levels of application of the things we're talking about with scrupulosity that sometimes co-occur with contamination fears, Timory. <clears throat> but what really is important is that people do not harm themselves. And so when somebody's in that severe of a situation, it's also worth knowing that there's been a lot of research on some types of medication, which Catholics are allowed to receive diagnostic help from psychiatrists who, and medical doctors who can provide medication support. And for some people, certain medications can help severely uh, troubled people with OCD have reduction of symptoms, especially as a short-term intervention as they continue to seek therapeutic help. And one of the really kind of cool models of therapy that integrates well with Catholic teaching is called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the premise, Timory, that fears about being dirty or things like that with OCD are triggered by thoughts and that behaviors and thoughts together create these cycles, these conditioning cycles. And part of the treatment of OCD is breaking the cycles of conditioning through cognitive behavioral therapy intervention called exposure with response prevention. 
And both cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure with response prevention can be done with a therapist in accord with Catholic teaching, and they really can help bring relief to intense symptoms of OCD. One thing to keep in mind, though, like we said, with OCD being an emotional issue, it is chronic in the sense that it's not usually like a light switch that turns on or off. You don't usually see people experience 100% healing right away. It's a condition that needs to be addressed and managed and healing often happens gently and gradually over time, but significant symptom reduction can happen early on if you get help, if you've not been getting, been not been treated or have been uh, diagnosed before in the past. So I really recommend this listener to talk to a doctor, reach out to a therapist as soon as possible. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro here on Trending with Tim, where you can find him at catholictherapist.com or posting a link to his profile. Another question on OCD. The question is, what is it like parenting with scrupulosity? I worry about how I'll be able to do it. I'm 24 years old and I've always wanted to be a mom. And my therapist tells me that I don't have to limit myself by my OCD, but I worry that it will consume me as a parent and I'll be in constant worry about how I'm raising my children. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Worrying about being worried. You see how the loop starts to go there. It's like a hamster wheel. I'm worried about how I'll worry when I'm worrying about my children. So yeah, it's a good thing to not limit yourself, but it's also a good thing to seek help. And the, the church over the last hundred years in particular has begun to see this kind of scrupulousness as not so much just a spiritual issue, but a psychological issue, like I mentioned before, which is why so many priests and many lay people have devoted their time and energy to developing strategies to help people with scrupulousness reduce the psychological disturbance related to their scrupulous issues. And like this person is examining, well, I'm, am I going to be a good parent in the future? Is this going to be torturous for me? If you get help for yourself now, there are good treatments for scrupulousness available. If you don't, it will make it harder to deal with it and sometimes later on. So I recommend just continuing in your therapy mode. You've got a therapist you're seeing now. Continue treating your own OCD and likely you'll be, by God's grace, continuing to reduce your fear so that it makes it easier when you face those difficulties as a parent. One last thing for hopeful uh, observation, Timory, is that Anything we do, I love Father Jacques Philippe's book, Searching for and Maintaining Peace, because whatever trial we're going through as Catholics, whether it be scrupulousness or whether it be other kinds of virtue versus vice challenges, maintaining our interior peace does not mean we have perfect emotional comfort. It means trying to ask God for the grace, simply asking for the grace to trust God's mercy and love that he will be guiding all things for good for those who love him. And I'd like to end that uh, little statement, Timmy, with one reflection from that book itself from a woman named Marie of the Incarnation. Are you familiar with her by any chance, Timmy? I've heard the name, but no. So it's in the back of Father Jacques Philippe's book called Searching for and Maintaining Peace, which I think is a great resource for people with scrupulous fears. And in that book, it's called Abandonment to God's Will. And it's from Marie of the Incarnation, who was alive from 1566 to 1618. And I want to offer this, Timory, as an encouragement to people listening. She writes, If we could, with a single interior glance, see all the goodness and mercy that exists in God's designs for each one of us, even in what we call disgraces, pains, and afflictions, our happiness would consist in throwing ourselves into the arms of the divine will 
with the abandon of a young child that throws himself into the arms of his mother, we would behave in all things with the intention of pleasing God, and then we would maintain ourselves in a holy repose, fully convinced that God is our Father and that He desires our salvation more than we ourselves desire it. So for people with scrupulousness, even if the emotional discomfort, Timory, doesn't go away right away because it's a condition they're having to work through over a period of months or years, seeking to trust God and have and receive interior peace amidst that journey and that He will use it all for your salvation and for His glory is a really helpful construct that's anchored in the tradition of the church. I love this book. I can't wait to dive into it. I love some of the work by Father Jacques Philippe, but I've not read this. So we're posting a link to that book, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. I'll include a link on social media and in the episode notes. And Michael, I was thinking too on the side of scrupulosity and OCD impacting fear for this young woman, 24 years old, surrounding the future potentially of being a parent. I think that we don't discuss how prevalent fear surrounding motherhood is. We have this pro-abortion culture. A lot of people, because of fear of motherhood or because of life circumstances, um, participate in abortion. And because of that, I think it's kind of shut the door on just the normalcy of fear of motherhood, the normalcy of being able to meet needs, the normalcy of struggling with something and how that could impact children, whether it be past wounds or bad habits. And I think just when looking at this question, big picture, sometimes we overcomplicate things and think because I have this struggle, it's going to get in the way of me being a mom. But I think a lot of women have those same exact fears and concerns. And it's not necessarily just you and your particular struggle uh, that is such a so stymieing potentially to motherhood. And I, I feel like that's just so important. We talk about the potential of motherhood and being moms down the road. So Michael, thank you for joining us. I do want to throw one more question because I'm going to be discussing what gets in the way of prayer and some solutions in a minute. But before I let you go, I'd love to kind of as a teaser, throw a question out your way. One of the common responses I heard from people as to what gets in the way of prayer for them is laziness. What do you recommend for someone who says laziness is the leading thing preventing them from praying? Well, it depends on the person, right? So somebody, person A and person B might both say it's laziness, but their interior disposition and psychological makeup are different. So it depends on the person. But with that said, one interesting kind of unique angle that I like to think of is that just like we said earlier, Timory, the emotions are actually a gift from God to help us choose the good and avoid evil. So if someone's feeling lazy that's sloth, right? One of the seven deadly sins. It might be worth asking themselves, what are the things that bring me joy? And am I open to the joy that God has for me in prayer? Because willing ourselves through our willpower alone makes prayer harder. It doesn't mean that every prayerful experience is going to be emotional, but when we do receive emotions, they're gifts from God. So the first thing I would just gently recommend is, are you open to the joy that may come as a fruit of prayer? Because that can give us extra energy to choose the good of praying, praying in a regular manner. If you are open to that and you still have this really strong struggle with sloth and not being able to pray consistently, there are so many different pieces of advice people could give. One tiny thing that comes to mind, Timory, is consistency and structure. 
because they reduce anxiety and help us beyond the mo- the moment when our feelings are high or low about our prayer time. That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. Michael, thank you for joining me today on Trending, answering tough questions surrounding just day-to-day interactions, behavior, OCD, prayer. It's been great having you on. If you would like to find Michael Gasparro or a Catholic therapist, just head over to catholictherapist.com or posting a link on social media as well as the episode notes. I'll be right back. What's getting in the way of prayer for you? Creating a daily prayer routine. We're going to dive into real solutions to address everything from laziness, lack of time, social media distractions, and much more. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. What's the biggest thing getting in the way of a prayer life for you? This is actually a topic that I love because it doesn't have to get in the way. It's as simple as that. And we can be too hard on ourselves, maybe give up because tried to start a prayer routine and it just didn't work and you try and it just didn't work at the end of the day and i think this is something key in what michael was sharing earlier in many ways it's an act of the will at what point are you going to make that act of the will to commit to prayer to bring structure into your life to make it happen you could say oh i'm not a structured person well that's an excuse Many people aren't structured people, but find a way to bring structure to their life and achieve incredible things. And so my challenge to you is to let go of the excuses. Now, I'm going to address solutions for challenges you're having, but I really push back on you and say, don't let this become your excuse for why you don't pray daily. The bare minimum that we should be doing is praying morning and evening. We should be working our way up to minimum 15 minutes a day, and ideally a solid 30 minutes a day. Again, it doesn't have to be all at once. It can be 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening. But I've been throwing the question out on social media, and the response I received are, I think, really comes down to about key five key things that's getting in the way of praying and creating a consistent prayer life. And all of these things, I totally get. You include everything from being tired, lack of time, distraction, laziness, and social media. Those are the five leading distractions. And you could interchange social media for email, whatever that item on your screen is that's pulling you away. It could be a game. It could be watching a show. I don't know what it is for you, but let's dive into each of this, these. And I want to start with tiredness first, since we're supposed to be praying in the morning and the evening. This seems to be one that is just so practical. Okay, I'm going to pray every day, but maybe you're trying to pray in bed in the morning, or maybe you're trying to pray while laying in bed at night and you fall asleep in the morning. You can't stay awake. You can't stay focused. In the evening, you fall asleep. You're too tired. It doesn't happen. Let's get really practical. And I want to start with an example that I heard years ago when uh, I heard someone say, okay, you're too tired to pray in the morning and you're laying in bed and you're having a hard time praying. Or maybe you're not laying in bed, but you get out of bed and the very first thing you do is pray, 
but you just can't do it. You're having a difficult time. Well, (laughs) the response that I heard was so practical. And I don't remember who said it, but this was the response. They said the Holy Family may have prayed first thing when they woke up, but the likelihood was that when the Holy Family woke up in the morning, they did very practical things, such as use the facilities, go and gather wood, light a fire. Maybe they even ate first because there were a lot of things that needed to be done to warm the space, to create a conducive environment, to just do basic things such as use the restroom. And through doing these things, engaging in these movements, you start to be a little more awake and ready to pray. But do you think the Holy Family neglected prayer? I don't think so. So it's a matter of, yes, engaging in the practical from moving your body to maybe warming a room to using the restroom, but just still making sure that prayer happens. And when you get moving and get these basic things done, you can pray first thing in the morning, but maybe it's not the first thing you do in the morning. So that's, I think, a very practical beginning place if you're struggling with tiredness when it comes to prayer. Second is, what is your posture in 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 which you're engaging in prayer? What's your state of prayer? So something that I like to do is I don't pray immediately when I wake up, but I do. So what I do is I get out of bed. The very first thing I do is I briefly kneel. I look the cross. I make a brief prayer making that that comment of love and adoration for our Lord, acknowledging God at the beginning of the day. And then I go about what I'm doing. And in that prayer, hopefully, and sometimes it's something I really forget to do, but the more often I do it, the greater the day is, the more powerful the suffering, the sacrifice, and the love is, is I try to offer my day for a particular person. So the state of prayer is the place we need to be in at the beginning of the day. And I think this helps to address tiredness. That The first thing you do is drop to your knee for a moment. Look at the cross. We should have a cross in our space, a crucifix. And Utter that brief prayer to our Lord and offer your day to him for a particular intention. This sets yourself in a state of prayer for the entire day, not just for a few minutes. Then when you have that planned morning prayer time, you enter into it. Maybe if you're someone who needs a cup of coffee first, fine, you got your coffee. Maybe you have a particular place in the house that you want to make the habit of praying in, fine, do it, but just don't do it laying in bed because it probably won't happen. And as we talk about being tired, we have to address these things and not be afraid to. And by the way, when it comes to tiredness, I'll never forget some years ago, I was in formation with the religious order of the community of St. John. And I was spending the summer with this religious community of of nuns and priests. And we were going through praying between four and six hours a day and theology and philosophy classes. And one of the monks had just come back from living a number of months as a hermit, as a hermit up in the mountains in Denver, Colorado. And it was a part of his formation. And when it was his first time interacting and engaging with people in a couple of months. And it was funny because we were having conversations and one of the comments someone made to the brother, the monk was, you know, I'm having a hard time with praying and I, I staying up late and I'm exhausted. And it was so funny because the monk had made this response. And I think this simple response is, stands so true. He said, well, you're having a hard time with sleep. And the person says, yes. He said, you're having a hard time with prayer. The person says, yes. And the, the monk who's been living as a hermit for a few months stops 
looks at him as if it's the silliest excuse and says, life is really quite simple. You go to bed when it's dark and you wake up when it's light. And that helps bring order to your day. And I'll never forget that advice that this man, this monk had because it was so simple and it was a little more simplistic for him because he had been living isolated as a monk away from technology and the busyness of the day, but he still had to survive. But I think that advice is something that I still hold strong to every day. Go to bed when it's dark, wake up when it's light. Order your day in a way that helps to bring proper rest and prayer and the right time of day for eating. If we can get sleep and prayer and eating in a store, and a lot of that has to do with the time of day in which we engage in it, our life is in much better order. Greater greater digestion, greater sleep, better mood, more time for prayer. That's the truth of the matter. Okay, another argument for why people struggle with prayer is time, time block calendar. And that story I just shared, I think really does touch on it. But if you want to pray, you got to plan a time. If you have no prayer life yet, Start with 15 minutes a day, give about seven of those minutes to morning prayer, seven minutes to evening prayer, and actually know what part of your morning you're going to do this in. So for me, I often get woken up by kids. If I don't get woken up by kids, great, I get to pray before them. But if not, I know, okay, if I haven't prayed by the time they've eaten breakfast, then that's when I sit down and pray. Otherwise, if I can do it before, then great, but I have that stop, that deadline of when it needs to happen to make my morning offering and prayer. And then at the end of the day, I pray before bed and I do it before I get into bed. I don't do it while I'm in bed because then it just doesn't happen. I fall asleep or I get distracted obsessing over the things of the day, which brings us to our third thing that's getting in the way of prayer, and that is distraction. Uh, wise monk once said the best way to work on distraction while you're already praying is to repeat the name of Jesus every time you find that you've wandered. And let's say even if you spend your whole rosary, although you might be uttering the words of the Hail Mary over and over again, if all you did was say Jesus and bring your attention back let's say 20 times that whole rosary, there were 20 times during that rosary that although you're uttering the words and not paying attention, that every time you said Jesus, you chose him and you chose him again 20 different times during that struggle for attention. Also, when I think it comes to distraction and prayer, there's a difference between spontaneous prayer throughout the day we should be engaging in and prayer where we're dedicating the time, sitting down, kneeling, wherever you might be. During that time of a dedicated prayer, posture really does matter. There's a reason why we have a history in the church of prayer hands, of kneeling. These postures, although uncomfortable, are a reminder of what we are actually doing. If social media is a distraction for you while praying, that's simple. Erase the apps using them. Maybe you put on a timer or you use a time frame in which you stop using social media, email, the game, whatever it is. So let's say you don't engage in those particular apps until after 9 a.m. and you expect you prayed by then. And you don't engage and use those apps and distractions after 7 p.m. because then you have greater time to pray. So those are your solutions for bringing a robust prayer life with God.